Hello, hello, happy Monday, and welcome back, beautiful souls, to You Uplifted, the place where open hearts and open minds can come together to explore, find, and discover new ways in which to heal, grow, and fully step into their true potential and power. My name is Safa. I am your host, and I am an intuitive healer as well as a women's health and wellness life coach. And I've got such a beautiful episode in store for you today. Now, today's episode deals with a topic that is near and dear to my heart, and it is just so multifaceted that I believe it actually would take us at least a month to cover half of the things that we needed to cover about it. (laughs) And by it, I mean narcissism. So, I mean, there's just so much richness to this conversation and so much information that I'm thrilled to share with you. But like I said, it's just sort of the tip of the iceberg. Certainly, if you ever want me to bring Laura back to the show or if you want me to go deeper into this particular topic, I would be more than happy to do so. But before we get into the nitty gritty and before we actually sink our teeth into this wonderful, wonderful interview, allow me to tell you a little bit more about my guest. Laura is a phenomenal human being. She is a life coach and she specializes in helping women who have been raised by narcissists. Laura is incredibly knowledgeable and so full of life and energy and just brilliant. So let's go ahead and get this conversation rolling, shall we? Here is the beautiful Laura. Awesome. Laura, welcome to the show. What a pleasure to have you. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Oh, me too. And I'm so excited for all our topics and everything that we're going to get into. But first things first, as always, if you could give us a little bit about yourself and your story and how you got here, even though it's, it's a long one, but you know, <laughs> as best <laughs> as we can comprise it for the listeners. Yes. Okay. So my name is Laura, by the way, and by the way is my actual last name. It's pronounced just like the prepositional phrase. So fun. And um, so I'm a, I'm a coach. I'm a life coach. And I work specifically with people who are recovering from narcissist relationships. And so that can look like, you know, parental uh, relationships that are narcissist um, or romantic relationships, even people who have had narcissist relationships with their bosses. There's a lot of that. So like work relationships, frenemies, people like that who tend to use you to feel better about themselves and they don't really see you as a person. They really actually see you as an asset. And what that does to people psychologically is uh, a lot of stuff. And so I work specifically with those affected by narcissists. And I got into that, um, because, well, I'd always wanted to be a therapist growing up. I grew up in a somewhat narcissist home. I have two amazing parents who happen to be raised by narcissists themselves. And so some of those tendencies uh, bled through. And so I experienced a lot of that growing up. And then I had a ton of patterns throughout my life in my friendships, work relationships, and romantic relationships that I didn't realize were patterns until I did the work, um, went to uh, different classes. I have a degree in psychology and I started to see myself in the the dysfunctional dynamics we were studying, which was crazy. Anyway, and so um, that just started the journey for me and I've done a lot of healing. I've done a lot of work. There's not a whole lot of 
therapists, coaches out there who, who do what I do specifically. So it's kind of taken me several years to nail down kind of my process, how I've healed. Um, and so when I decided to become a coach uh, a year or more ago, yeah, it was a little over a year ago. And I, I didn't really expect to do this particular niche, but this type of client was the client that always came to me. And, and so I was, all of my clients had these specific issues. And I thought, you know what universe, I'm, I got the message. Let's, uh, let's just lean into this. And it's just been amazing ever since I'm just finding people. There are just so many people in this world who have been affected by narcissism and there are specific ways to heal and specific things that they deal with that aren't talked about a lot. And so it's kind of been my job and my mission to find all those things, to find all those people and to help them get what it is that they want, right? Like more money, a, a, an actual healthy relationship, break those patterns, break those cycles for their children, you know, and then of course feel confident and feel self-esteem, feel a lot of self-love that they've been missing for either a lot of years or in a lot of cases, their whole lives. So yeah, that's what I do. <laughs> oh my gosh, Laura. I really, I'm really, really grateful for people like you in this world who do this work. And like <laughs> you said, there's not many out there. So right. So, and thank you so much because as someone who's experienced this as well firsthand, I can say that there is so much that goes into the mm-hmm. dynamics in terms with others, right? And there's mm-hmm. so much healing that definitely can be done. And it is really, truly transformative once you actually get going. Right. But let me backtrack a little bit and work with you in okay. re- redefining the way in which we understand narcissists and narcissism because I know that this is a word that for a very long time we purely utilized for people who were very vain or who mm-hmm. were very stuck up or very full of themselves. Right. And still sort of it gets used that way. And I tend to cringe very heavily when that happens because I know there's so much more to it. So oh my gosh, yes. Give us a full sort of in-depth look at what an actual narcissist truly is. Right. So typically when people think of narcissism, just like you said, they think of people who are self-obsessed, people who love themselves, who are just can only see themselves and only care about themselves. When in reality, actual narcissism is a symptom of self-hate. And the, the core definition of a narcissist is a person who lacks unconditional love for themselves and for other people. And as a result, they are in constant pain all the time and they use other people to feel better on a constant basis. So they cannot see people as people. They only see people as assets to get what it is that they want. And they don't even know, they're not even aware that they're doing this. It's very much, narcissism is very much a survival mechanism. Most narcissists have actually experienced and survived very abusive situations themselves. And because of the way that they've survived in this particular way through narcissism, they actually create more narcissism around them because other people have to survive them in that particular way. So it's a little bit of a vicious cycle. I mean, obviously not all narcissists were created by narcissists. There has to be a a starting point at some point, but um, a lot of time narcissism is also related to alcoholism and substance abuse because, because really narcissism is about pain management. It's about saying, Saying, I am empty and you doing what I want you to do makes me feel powerful, makes me feel superior, makes me feel better about myself, makes, gives me permission to love myself. And when you fail to do that thing that I, that I want you to do, 
then I feel an immense amount of emptiness that I can't possibly process or deal with. And so I must force you or someone else to do what it is that I want you to do so that I can feel better. It's you're dealing with very primal survival mechanisms at place. And that's why they are so such powerful and intelligent people. And you'll find that a lot of them are in high ranking, you know, areas of business and politics and, and, uh, celebrity things like that because they've just that for them um controlling everyone around them is like breathing they are very good at it and if you try to stop them you know you're coming up against a a primal survival mechanism Mm -hmm. absolutely and as i understand it also it is part of the antisocial personality disorder realm right so you've got that Mm -hmm. element to it as well so and that took me a while to understand because i remember always as an empath and there's a whole mm-hmm. thing about that that we're going to get into as well. Whole thing. Let's we do there, it. <laughs> before we get there. Um, I also felt very um, saddened by the thought of what you just said. You know, it's the fact mm-hmm. that there is this primal sort of state of being. Right. But also know, I guess, for the listeners, that, that it goes way deeper than that. And it's not, it, it's hard to understand that a narcissist doesn't really feel empathy or love or right. fear the way that we do, but they don't. They don't. It's not possible for them. It, the pain is so great that if they were to try, it would just be, it would just break them, I think, or at least they think it would break them. I don't think it would. But yeah, they, it's almost like a disability. They simply do not have the ability to look at a person and put themselves in that person's shoes and understand how that person would feel like the rest of us do. The rest of us have that natural ability from childhood. We have that ability. It's we're, we're, it's, we're, we're born with it. It's innate but narcissists do not have this ability. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Which again, brings me to the next point, which is that dynamic of narcissists and empaths. What can you tell us about mm-hmm. that? Okay. Are you ready? So narcissists <laughs> and empaths are two puzzle pieces that fit perfectly. They are made for each other. And I don't say this, um, to be disparaging or to be critical of empaths. I think, I mean, I, I, I haven't really identified myself as one, but I bet if, but I could, um, I, I don't particularly choose to identify myself as an empath for my own personal reasons. We can get into mm-hmm. that if you want. Um, but absolutely that's how I behaved in all of my narcissist relationships. So I understand very well what an empath means. And in other words, what's happening here is that the narcissist and the empath are essentially two sides of the same coin. They're like mirror images of each other. The narcissist is managing their pain by using the empath. Um, They're hijacking the empath's empathy so that the empath does over empathy. And the, the empath in this moment is also managing her pain because, um, her over empathy is, is very painful. And of course the narcissist knows how to create lots of emotions inside this person's body, like guilt, shame, fear, anger, and her survival mechanisms are triggered as well. And so for her to deal with that, she does what the, what the narcissist wants and she craves approval from the narcissist and she's actually Mm -hmm. able to, so in other words, the narcissist is able to manipulate the empath, but very much so the empath manipulates the the narcissist too. When you people please someone, you are actually lying to them so that you can control their emotions so that you can feel safe. And just like they lie to you or they say things to you to make you feel a certain way, 
right? That's about making them feel safe and them feel like they can love themselves in the very same way empaths use that exact same mechanism to manage their own guilt, their own shame, their own fear. Um, so that when the narcissist is happy, when the narcissist is, is feeling love and is not scary and is not, you know, doing things that make them feel fear, then they can feel safe. So it's a little bit of a, when, when I realized that about myself, it was kind of like a, it was very eye-opening. It was a little bit of a spark, like, wait, what? Mm -hmm. I thought I was the victim in this scenario. Mm -hmm. And you very much are. I mean, for sure, the narcissist is definitely, you know, if there's a villain and a victim, the narc is the villain and, you know, the empath is the, is the victim. However, the empath plays into the dynamic and there's a way for the empath to completely opt out. Um, but once you engage with a narcissist, you've already lost the game. And so... Mm -hmm. The, the solution really is to come back into yourself, to come home to yourself and understand that your emotions belong to you and that you can manage your emotions without controlling the narcissist in your life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think it's, um, I'm sitting here thinking about it, just kind of reflected in my own life, right? Because I told you I've, mm -hmm. I've had to go through this exposure as well. Mm -hmm. And I think a big part of that is just as you said, it's there are two sides of the same coin. So it's not mm -hmm. as if we're saying, oh, they're perfect for each other in a very classic no. romantic way. But we're oh, saying no. mm -mm. it's just that it makes a lot of sense for them to attract each other because yes. they're yes. filling in blanks respectively that feel that they need to be filled you know <laughs> exactly it that's you nailed it that's exactly right and i think especially empaths uh if you've been if you're the type of person who has experienced abuse since childhood what happens is your brain has fundamentally changed to adapt to your surrounding and what that will do is that will create a filter a subconscious filter that makes it so you only attract narcissists in your life. You can only see them and you actually reject the healthy people or you fail to see them because we are, we are drawn to that which is familiar and that which feels safe, even if it's painful. Mm -hmm. So in the narcissist empath dynamic, the, the empath does have some control. She feels somewhat in control of her environment because she's able to mold herself, change herself, erase herself in such a way that the narcissist is happy and they feel like they have some control in their lives. And when you're a child and you've been abused by a narcissist, that's all you have. You don't have the ability to opt out. That's not available to so you. You don't have the tools. So you must change you uh, in order to keep everyone happy so that you feel safe. And that sinks deep into your subconscious and it's how you inadvertently view the entire world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a great part of that causes or yeah, it causes an inherent core wound, which has a lot to do with codependency. And then yes. that further feeds into the empath's sort of need for uh, not just approval in the sense of, oh, I've got to be good and loved by everybody, but right. the codependency that we develop with the people in our lives. And that is a tough one. Yes, it is. That's a tough one. We, it, it's not the empath's fault um, that codependency is part of her life on a regular basis, but it is within the empath's power to understand, Hey, I, I'm contributing to this dynamic because I seek for this and I feel better when I do this. Right. And when you really gain full awareness of what you're doing and why that's when you get leverage over the situation and you can make different choices if you want to. Mm -hmm. And I love that. And thank you for that. Because I think a lot of times we tend to um, 
devaluate ourselves. You know, we absolutely to, as it is, we're very hard on ourselves. And I talk we about are. probably uh-huh. on the show that we are. And then whenever <laughs> something like this happens, I think that we tend to further devalue the fact that, hey, your point of view, your feeling, your everything, you have a right for that, but you also have the choice here. And so this is where it starts yes. to make a difference and where you can turn things around and yes. where we can break the cycle as well. Amen. Mm-hmm. No, you're absolutely right. I think it's really tricky because I work with a lot of people who have been abused in this situation. And sometimes when I explain this dynamic to them, the immediate message they receive is, oh no, it's my fault or yeah. you're victim blaming yeah. and things like that. And I want to just be abundantly clear that, you know, it's, it's kind of like when you're driving a car and if you let go of the steering wheel, it automatically veers left, mm-hmm. right? Like it's, that's not the car's fault and it's not your fault as the driver that the, the tires are misaligned and the axles are slightly off, right? Like it's just a simple repair. Like you take the car to the mechanic, you rotate and balance the tires, you get the axles properly fixed and then you're on the car or sorry, on the road in your car and you're driving properly and there's no problem. But before when it was veering to the left over and over, right? It's just, it's a simple mechanical issue Mm -hmm. when you're dealing with this, this particular dynamic and it's not the car's fault. It's not even the driver's fault. It's just something that has happened that needs to be dealt with. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, we tend to be really, really hard on ourselves because we've been trained probably from a young age, if not, you know, from, you know, childhood, we've been trained to internalize the message that it is our fault because narcissists love that. They, they rely on us blaming ourselves uh, because they will never take responsibility. (laughs) That's not what they do. Uh, Of course not. Why would they take responsibility? So you've got to take all the responsibility. And so we're so used to that sort of inappropriate um, over responsibility where we're like, it's all of it's my fault. Like, and there's some of it that you can be responsible. There are some choices you did make, but you didn't make all the choices and you didn't force anyone to feel or think or do a certain thing, but they made you believe that it was all your fault and that you have to fix it. And so that's kind of what we're trained to do. We're trained to take more responsibility than what belongs to us. And what that looks like is it's my fault. I'm to blame what, whereas what I'm saying here is taking responsibility that's appropriate is very empowering and blame means that you are fundamentally broken and that there's something wrong with you. Mm-hmm. Whereas taking responsibility is saying, Oh, I see why I made that choice. That makes so yep. much sense. There's so much compassion. There's so much empowerment in taking appropriate responsibility and saying, absolutely. I know exactly what to do to make a different choice in the future. Or if I don't know what to do, then that's my work to figure out what it is I need to do to make a different choice in the future. So Mm -hmm. a lot of my work is trying to explain this difference, you know, (laughs) sorry, what? I get it because it's a, it's a complete reframe, you know, it really is complete Mm -hmm. reframing of everything. It goes from, and, and again, we're super quick to that blame game and it usually the fingers pointing right at ourselves because we've gotten so used to those patterns, but I love, Mm -hmm. love, love that because yep if you can reframe it enough and see that there's so much love and grace to be had in that space, then we can also pull out of this very toxic idea where I think sometimes we can, within the realm of healing and within the realm of even spirituality, you know, we, Mm -hmm. a lot of times will say things that come from a very good place and that are meant to create a lot of healing and space, but sometimes can be very devaluing depending on the energetic that kind of, and how it gets read in the body. One of those things is 
the concept of, oh, well, you keep attracting it into your life. Not wrong. Not that it's not true. Right. There is that's truth to accurate. it. But it's not your <laughs> fault, you know? It's not your and fault. I think exactly. that's where we get into a big problem because, gosh, I mean, I know people in my life who have had very difficult situations who will call me in tears and be like, how did I do this to myself again? How did I let myself right. happen? How did I exactly mm-hmm. like, wow, we wait, like have a bit more compassion. This isn't, don't come at it from that point. Let's examine, let's go deep. Let's see what it is within you that really needs to be healed and addressed mm-hmm. before we go further. Yep. Mm-hmm. Amen. It's so, it's so hard. I remember I had one client because one of the things that we, that this is one of the main work that we do when I work with my clients is helping them take appropriate responsibility without blaming themselves. And that's not easy to do, like, just like you said. And I describe it to him this way where I say, okay, you're in a lot of pain right now because you're holding a cactus, right? And the cactus is really painful and you're feeling a lot of pain, but the solution is put down the cactus. Mm-hmm. And when mm-hmm. one of my clients listened to that and like kind of really internalized it, he was just like, but, but it's not my fault. I'm carrying the cactus. No, it's not. Someone no. told you, right. made you believe that holding the cactus is what you're supposed to do. And you believed it because of course you did because you wanted them to love you mm-hmm. because you wanted to stay in that relationship. Again, that's survival mechanisms are at play here. When you are avoiding abandonment, you are surviving. Abandonment is a very real um, trigger for all of us because we're humans yeah. because we, we do not survive if we are abandoned. And that's true for infants. That's true for young children anyway. Mm-hmm. And so because you were motivated by, um, avoiding abandonment to hold the cactus, you made the choice to hold the cactus. Um, but it's not your fault that you did that because you didn't have the tools to make a different decision. And now, and now you do because people think that putting down the cactus is going to be even more painful. And that's where I show them that not only can you manage the pain that comes from letting go, but you can also create so much more Mm -hmm. in terms of relief for yourself as well as things like self, unconditional self-love and always forgiving yourself, always having mm-hmm. compassion for yourself, always having your own back. These are the new tools that we, we work on so that you can put the cactus down and heal and, and let the little you know spikes in your, or the little holes in your hands heal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right? When we really got that through, because it finally did click, it was night and day for him. It was just, he was just like, oh, I see it now. This is so amazing. But it just takes some time to kind of get over that, to get over that hump, you know? <laughs> it certainly does. And we tend to hoard it as if it was treasure. You know, I say that all the time mm-hmm. to my clients. It's like, well, you're, you're holding on to this thing that is harmful and really not full of life anymore. And that is causing more pain and destruction in mm-hmm. your life so close to you you're holding it as if it was the most valuable most precious most wonderful treasure in your life and then that's kind of where it falls where it's like oh oh why am I doing that you know it's it's you don't want to let go of the cactus exactly right (laughs) so I love I love that um 
that way that you said that. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> also, I think it's important for us to to say here that within the realm of the narcissist, you know, you don't have to be in a romantic relationship to be right. encountering a narcissist. So That's also, if you could give us a bit more information about that, because I firmly believed that was true for a while until it dawned on me that, oh, wait a second, narcissists come in all shapes, forms, and sizes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Because they are everywhere and they surround themselves with all kinds of people and all kinds of aspects of life um, to kind of manage that pain that they have, right? So mm-hmm. if you have a frenemy person, like a mean girl or a type of friend that only seems to call you when they need something, but then totally bails on you when you need something, um, that friend that gives you backhanded compliments or um, is always in competition with you or always tries to one-up you or um, always tries mm-hmm. to just be a little bit more superior, that's that's a a narcissist dynamic friendship. And I will say that narcissism, in my opinion, is very much on a spectrum. So we have people who are full-blown MPD, and then it always, it ranges, you know, with the intensity of the tendencies that they have. So you could be working with, you could have a friend who isn't full-blown MPD, but she's definitely got some narcissist tendencies, and she's using you to feel better about herself on a constant basis. And she's not worried about, you know, I have a friend of mine who has a friend of me like this and they communicate back and forth. And it's so funny because this person doesn't actually listen to what my friend says on a regular basis. And so she's always like, wait, what are you doing? It's just, it's just really funny because she pretends to be a really, really good friend. Mm -hmm. um, But she actually has no interest in the life of my friend. (laughs) So she just, and and a lot of, a lot of times, especially with women, uh, narcissism, uh, shows itself through being looking a certain way. So they're driven by avoiding embarrassment. So they want other people to think certain things about them. So they're very um, focused on their looks, you know, and, and how they're perceived by people and they put on a show and it's just, it's really, really intense. Um, And you can tell that that person is a narcissist because, or at least has some narcissist tendencies uh, because they're the type of person that can't leave the house without putting makeup on, which isn't a bad thing. I mean, makeup is not evil. Mm -hmm. Dressing well is not evil, right? But these people hold on to it so tightly. They cannot be vulnerable. They cannot be seen without their makeup or without looking a certain way. Maybe they spend money they don't have to make it look like they have a certain lifestyle Mm -hmm. so that you think or other people think certain things about them. And that creates them feeling good enough, them feeling like they can believe that they're good enough. And so that, that's typically how like mean girls or frenemies work, but you can also encounter, you know, bosses at work. Mm -hmm. I just spoke with someone recently who worked for four years for a narcissist boss and she had no idea that what she was dealing with because she had never really encountered narcissism before. And she just felt like she was going crazy. She was gaslit all the time. She was right? Like, like at least three other people in her department had mental breakdowns. The other four were on antidepressants after working with this woman and nothing you did was ever good enough. Um, she crossed boundaries constantly, Mm -hmm. uh, expecting her employees to do stuff outside of work to, you know, um, put work before her family or before her kids or before her vacation. I mean, there are, there are, they, they just have such high unrealistic expectations of you and you can never live up to them. And it's mm-hmm. your fault when you mm-hmm. fail, right? Like it's just crazy making. And you, you just, you know, it's hard to get out of that situation because typically 
when you're working for a narcissist, they are really in control. Like they're involved in HR, they're involved with the higher ups of the company and they know how to get people on their side so that when you complain, you look like you're the crazy one, mm -hmm. right? Cause they're in control of the narrative and it's just, it's nuts. So yeah, if you have a narcissist boss, just, just get out. Definitely. <laughs> oh, my, oh my God. I hadn't even thought about that. I mean, I know I've experienced narcissism in many different ways, right? So mm -hmm, I know it exists mm -hmm. even in terms of parents or friends and, and all of this other stuff, family members, et cetera. But oh my God, I never thought about what that would be like in a work environment. And mm -hmm. geez, that's just so heavy. Yeah. It takes people years to recover from that kind of that kind of experience. And you, and, and they take advantage of the fact that you need this job so, yeah. for survival, right? They, they, that's how they have all of their power is in your need for survival. That's why people struggle so much to leave their narcissist husbands or boyfriends because they've isolated them. They've yeah. made it so that they have no money. They've made it so that they have, you know, kids at home that need to be taken care of. I mean, it's a total nightmare for these poor women who had no idea what they were getting themselves into. And now all these resources that they could have, have had are totally cut off mm -hmm. and it serves the narcissist because they will always be in control. And then not to mention, I mean, if, if you, uh, parental narcissism is everywhere too, mm -hmm. where parents will, you know, use guilt and shame and, you know, you don't love me and like all of these things to control their children and make it so that their children are like totally enmeshed in their lives, just inappropriate yeah. boundaries yeah. are crossed left and right and expectations, you know, to take care of them in inappropriate ways. It's all over the place. Um, parents for sure can be uh, narcissists to their children. And there's a lot of people out there who are suffering from that. Yeah, lots of us. And it's, it's just such a thing. It's a great journey in the sense that when you spot it and are able to move into it and work into healing with that, it can be so beautiful, but also so intense and definitely so not, intense. <laughs> yeah, definitely painful as well. But also it kind of sheds light to a lot of other things in your life. And it's, you know what, I love that you were touching on, on a few points in terms of how, how that narcissist works, right? Because I would like yes. for us to go a little bit deeper into that. If I, if I, you know, if we had to break it down into just like five points, I know the charm, the manipulation, the gaslighting, all of those things, if we could just kind of address those, what would be some flags or some indications that we are dealing with a narcissist? Right. So at the core of all of those tools, like you, like you said, gaslighting and other tools that narcissists use is they will pick up whatever tool works. So the real power that a narcissist has is in the emotion of the person in front of them. Mm -hmm. So does the person respond to guilt the most? Well, then the narcissist will use guilt and shame to inspire the other person to say or do whatever it is the narcissist wants so that the person feeling the guilt makes the guilt go away. Right. Or if the person feels, uh, responds mostly to uh, anxiety or to kind of like survival uh, instincts, right? Then the narcissist will take away their money and take away access to other people who will help them survive so that they can always do what the narcissist wants so that they can feel safe and they can feel taken care of. Um, and so, okay, so let's think. We've got um, gaslighting, we've got, um, they, they use a lot of shame. One of their, 
biggest tools is shame. So they will make sure that they are really good friends with a lot of people and they're in charge of telling them exactly what's happening so that their story is the one that makes the most sense Mm -hmm. so that you feel um, like everyone around you thinks the wrong thing about you. And when you're feeling that, right, you are so motivated to change everyone's minds by changing the things that you say and do because you want everyone to think wonderful, nice things about you. Right. Mm-hmm. And so they use that tool against you. So it's really just, it's an array of tools and they're so clever. They come up with lots of different tools and they are constantly at their disposal. So when they meet you and they see you, they can peg you pretty quickly, which tool is going to work for you. And if they don't know it right away, they will try a bunch of them until it works. And so, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, essentially it's, it's about controlling you. It's about saying, I want to feel good. This is how I'm going to feel good. And you're going to provide it for me. And this is how I'm going to make you provide it for me. Does that yeah. answer your question? Yeah, it does. Okay. <laughs> I know there's a lot of things. Yeah. I, it, the thing is, I feel like there's so much information and unfortunately we only have a short amount of time in which to get to it. So I'm trying right. to make sure that we hit as many points as possible, as concisely as possible. Mm-hmm. I guess the other part of that too would be people who don't know, or like if you're maybe if, if our listeners are wondering, well, sh- how do I even know though? I mean, that kind of sounds familiar, but I'm not sure. Let's go a little bit deeper with at least um, the following first, gaslighting. What exactly is gaslighting and what does it look like, sounds like, et cetera? But by the way, it's horrible. (laughs) Gaslighting is horrible. Gaslighting is one of those tools where when you are gaslighted, you feel like you're the crazy one. You feel like you're left doubting yourself. You're left questioning yourself and what you're thinking and what you're feeling and what you've done is right or wrong. You just kind of get lost and fuzzy and hazy. And the narcissist will use gaslighting, which is essentially um, telling you that you're wrong and that it's, and that it's your fault. Like for example, um, if you confront them about something they've said or done, right? They're really good at making you feel like you caused it in some way and that mm-hmm. uh, you're at fault for it and that they were just doing this thing over here. And well, how could you possibly, um, like, how could, how could you possibly do that to me? Right. <laughs> and then you're just left thinking, wait, wait a second. Cause, cause most people approach most people thinking that they're normal, right? Cause when you deal with normal people, there's not some crazy sort of deep hidden agenda happening and people make assumptions about other people that they're normal and they're trustworthy and we're all operating under the same ideas about what's true in the universe but when someone is really really subversive they take advantage of that assumption and then you're over there thinking wait a second did i say something wrong did i was it my fault did i did i do it right or am, am i crazy right and 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 it happens over and over and over again to where you really break down a sense of self-trust that you used to have and you're, you're not able to trust yourself in any situation. You kind of lose um, that sense of self. I mean, it's just, it's crazy making. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, and in fact, the term itself comes from a play, right? That was kind oh, yeah. of like all about that. The characters on the play is the, the husband has become so incredibly toxic and manipulative and just evil with the wife that he starts moving things around and telling her oh that didn't move that's been there this whole time like it got to the point yes. that she thought she lost her mind she thought mm-hmm. she'd gone crazy because he did such a mental number on her and that's where the idea comes from and that's exactly what it feels like I can tell you because I've experienced it right you know? 
same it's that shift <laughs> I know you have I know we talked about this before the show so I, I get it's that shift it's like wait a second is it really my fault that I did I really not say that did I and so you find yourself right. constantly second guessing everything it's so trippy yes exactly because because they've sort of created this alternate reality right it's like you have no idea what's real and what's not and they're just so convinced and like they they're just so like uh, what's the word convicted like they they have this conviction about what reality is that you're just like wait what i i thought i said that i I thought I did that. Mm-hmm. And, and they're so adamant, you know, so that they create this reality that isn't real, but it makes you question yourself and then you do what it is they want ultimately. Mm-hmm. And the, the trippier part for me has been in coming out of a situation that was like that, you know, and experiencing mm-hmm. the complete opposite where there's honesty and there's openness and there's all of this. I still find myself questioning and second guessing myself a lot like before I I say or do something I'm like oh god but wait like is this so it's really trippy because the healing then is much more so about going very internal which is always so important for our healing in general but about going so internal that you're you're firmly rooted in who you are what you think what you want what you don't want what you know what you don't know and then Mm -hmm. remember also that there is this whole space where you can inhabit yourself freely without the fear of that in your life anymore once you've truly put it behind you but also too where you can spot it should it ever Mm -hmm. present itself again because it's life and there are a lot of narcissists out there so there are right and they use this and many other tools at their disposal i mean another thing they do with gaslighting right? Is when they just, they wear on you, right? They, they just wear you down. They kind of badger you until you are so exhausted that you, you have to give in, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and that happens over and over. And it's a tool that is very, very effective, especially when you're not, you're not aware of what's happening. Um, but they just keep bearing down on you and, and they keep using the same lies. And then you, you already are questioning your own reality. And uh, ultimately they end up winning and you're mm-hmm. just left empty. You're left just bereft of your self-trust. And it's just, they just hollow you out. You know, it's horrible. <laughs> it's exhausting. Yeah. It is exhausting. exhausting. Mm-hmm. A couple of, of interesting qualities of dealing with a narcissist, just since we're still talking about how to kind of spot that and acknowledge it within our, within our own lives. Cause I think, well, shoot. Okay. I had two different thoughts. So number okay. one, thank you so much for saying that there's a spectrum because I, yes, yes. I 100% agree with that. And I don't think that that is something that we've explored enough. I agree. It's important because not everyone is going to be a full-blown narcissist in mm-hmm. terms of like by the book. You like not everybody is going to love bomb you and then right. you know right. discard you or make you feel you know not everybody's going to exactly. go through the step the steps and stages. But mm-hmm. there will be enough of a pattern that you will be able to spot. So that was my first thought, which led me into my second thought, which was going further into the things that you might see in your life if you are in 
proximity with or in a relationship of any kind with a narcissist is that they are they can be very charming they can make mm-hmm. you feel at times like you are the center of the world and nothing mm-hmm. else matters but at the same time like just a little bit later will make you feel denigrated and taken down and put down and like you're nothing like you're worthless like you have to keep apologizing for things like you're walking walking on eggshells with them all the time amen and mm-hmm. also too yeah then also too um they will like you said they will make sure that they are in control so watch in your life what it is that the people in your life are actually asking are they saying hey come here and allow me to like take care of you and like do this together as a partnership or are they saying no you do not have access to xyz and how does that become mm-hmm. a manipulation and how does that become a control over you and why and how does it affect you because it does leave you very powerless Mm-hmm. It does. Mm-hmm. And then also they will usually have like a harem. Like, oh gosh, I, I never know how to say that word. And my accent is going to be so awful right now, but they have a harem <laughs> of like people because they oh, have yes. to feel adored. So a lot of the time, these are people who are going to either have a little group of people who like adore and basically worship them, or they're going to be cheating or there was some mm-hmm. level of that. Right. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. They will also be the type of person who will not take responsibility for Mm. any of their actions. So they're going to blame others. They're going to deflect. They're going to project. A lot of times when you, when you are dealing with a narcissist, they accuse you of being a narcissist. I've seen that so many times. Um, It's the best. It's so deliciously (laughs) ironic. Um, And they, right. They, they project outward and they, anything to keep, from taking responsibility themselves. It's always somebody else's fault. Um, another thing is uh, lack of boundaries. So if they are crossing the line, even little ones, like those are red flags because boundaries are how they test you, especially if that they can find empaths mm-hmm. through their, their boundary testing. So if they can kind of push the boundaries a little bit with you, then they can know that you're safe to manipulate. And if they can't push the boundaries with you, if you're able to say no and not feel guilty about it, then they know to kind of that you're not going to work. You're not going to be, and, and they might reject you at that point. Right. But if you don't care, <laughs> right. If, in other words, I guess not, not caring is not the right word, but if you are so emotionally resilient that people rejecting you is not something that, um, you, you just must control in your life, mm-hmm. then you are, you know, that you can be a little bit more safe from a narcissist because you're able to say, Oh yeah, people can reject me. That's totally fine. That's not about me. Mm-hmm. Right. And so yep. you have to be careful of your needs. Okay. Your, your holes in your soul that draw in and invite uh, these type of people into your life. If you can be emotionally resilient, you can do a lot to repel these types of people in your life. So lack of boundaries. And then we, we mentioned lack of empathy as well, right? Just like yeah. if you can tell that they cannot put themselves in another person's shoes mm-hmm. and really feel what it is the other person is feeling uh, because they're just so focused on other things, that's a huge clue. That's one of the hallmarks of narcissism is lack of empathy. It's mm-hmm. really what's happening down. If you, and if you see that they... You can also like if you're if you're in a in a relationship with one, um, and you, the the relationship they have with their parents can tell you pretty much everything you need to know. All you need to go is, do is go have dinner with their parents mm-hmm. because you'll be able to see the dynamic between the two of the parents. You'll be able to see if there's any weird boundary crossings happening between parent and child. That's that's a big one. Um, 
and you'll be able to see, you know, how they interact with each other, the expectations they have of each other. A narcissist will sometimes people please their own parents, especially the ones that they're afraid of, or they will be very abusive towards their parents. So there's really no like normal thing happening there. Um, because the parent situation is such a vulnerable relationship mm-hmm. that they're not, um, they're not pretending to be amazing. They're not being charming in that moment. They're being exactly who they are when they're around their parents. I've seen it many, many times. <laughs> yep. Yep, absolutely. And that's where the work of really getting to love and know ourselves is so important. I mean, obviously it's important for many different reasons, but it also gives you the tools. It's like you were saying, it gives you the tools to actually spot these things. Because if you have healthy, strong, well-set boundaries, Mm-hmm. And it's you're not you're not going to settle and you're not going to let anybody violate that. It's not going exactly. to exactly place where you're going to compromise your values, your core values. And so yes. that's huge because the second that you actually start doing that, that's a big red flag. There's some sort of mm-hmm. internal or external manipulation going on that you're kind of giving way to that is unhealthy. Mm-hmm. Also, Amen. You yeah, if you really listen to yourself and to your intuition, you'll spot things a little bit more easily. I've made this uh, comparison a few times in the past before, but I'll refer to it again because it's probably one of my favorites. That whole idea of butterflies in your stomach as being like a sign of that the person is the one is actually Mm -hmm. your body's fight or flight response. It's telling you get the hells out of there. You are not (laughs) in a good situation. Run. You are absolutely right. It's the truth. I mean, if you've ever seen, okay, there's this movie, I think it's Charlie's Angels Full Throttle. I think it's the second one Mm -hmm. where Dylan, they're looking for the the villain on the beach and all they have to do is watch Dylan and she will find the villain because the one that she is fundamentally attracted to is for sure the bad guy. And that is real, y'all. It is real. It's so true. I used to think that that exact feeling that you just described was the spark that I needed to be Mm -hmm. in a relationship. And I looked for that and I waited for that. And I only was attracted to certain people who had that that the, who created that spark in my body, but I didn't, that was not attraction. That was fight or flight. That was mm-hmm. primal fear. And, but I loved it because it was familiar to me. And I thought that it was safe, even though it was painful. My subconscious was like, yes, this is what we know. This is what we're familiar with. And familiarity trumps, you know, healthy every single time, no matter what. Yeah. No, totally. Got to, You've got to like. I, I've learned that. I'm I'm married now. We've been married now ten years, which is amazing. It's such oh, a miracle. It is. Congratulations. <clears throat> Thank you. And I'm just I'm so proud of our relationship because when I first met him, that spark was absent, and I made that mean that I was not supposed to be with him. That I'm not, I wasn't attracted to him, um, or that like you know, it just, there just wasn't that, that thing that you need to be mm-hmm. in that relationship that you, you draw to each other. And so I totally rejected him. <laughs> I totally said, um, thanks so much for your interest, but I'm not interested. <laughs> and through a series of miraculous events, um, mm-hmm. we were brought together again. And I had this amazing thought, what if I'm not feeling lack of attraction? What if I'm just feeling peaceful? What if this is just like, home for me. And when I really saw through that lens, everything changed. And I had a completely different type of attraction to this man. It was 
it was very strange because it was so unfamiliar, mm-hmm. but it was very real. And I tell you like our relationship, it's just like, it's a fine line. It just gets better over time. There's no drama. There's no up and down. There's no abuse. It's, mm. uh, it's utterly miraculous. And I'm just so passionate in my work about helping people find this because a healthy true healthy relationship is available to us all. We just have to do the work to heal and we can find it and it, it's available. Oh, I, I'm, I'm almost like jumping up and down because like, <laughs> I can totally relate to this and it makes such a huge difference when we actually listen and pay attention and just become very present to all of these things. It just, mm-hmm. listen, your holy yes is always going to be peaceful. Amen. Very beautifully said. (laughs) Holy yes is peaceful. That is beautiful. I'm writing that down. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, Laura, I want to, you know, go on talking for hours and hours, of course, but we have to start wrapping things up. So unfortunately, Um, if you could, I like to do this thing at the end of the show where I ask uh, my my guests to tell me just a a little bit of advice or one way in which they can recommend for us to all become empowered and uplifted. Okay. So you kind of cut out there. Can you repeat that question? I didn't quite get everything. Yeah, no problem. So my favorite question at the end of the show is always, what is your advice or your recommendation on how we can all become more empowered and uplifted? Okay. So my recommendation is that you learn how to love yourself unconditionally. That is the antidote to all narcissism. It goes backwards and forwards. It's true for narcissists. It's true for people affected by narcissists. If you can learn to feel true unconditional love for yourself, regardless of how you behave, regardless of what you look like, how you show up, what you've done in your past, that will bring so much healing to you and will bring so much more empowerment and safety and peace to your life. I mean, that's just the jumping off point. I've got a million other things (laughs) that can be done, but the very first thing is unconditional love um, because that, that is where narcissism is born. Narcissists Mm -hmm. believe that love is earned and empaths also believe that exact same thing, that love is earned. And it's just not true. Love is never earned. All the love in the universe already belongs to you right now in this instant. And it always has, and it always will. And there's nothing that you can do that makes you unworthy of that love. And if you can truly retrain your mind to think loving thoughts about yourself on a daily basis, I'm not talking like looking in the mirror and telling yourself what a great butt you have. (laughs) I'm talking like, I am worthy. I am capable. I am lovable as I am in this moment at all times over and over and over again. If you can really train yourself to believe that your whole world will change. Mm-hmm. Yep. I could <laughs> not agree more. Oh, yes. And then last but not least, certainly, where can the listeners find you and connect with you? Okay. So I am on Instagram at Laura, L-A-U-R-A, by the way, B-Y-T-H-E-W-A-Y, coaching, C-O-A-C-H-I-N-G, <laughs> Laura, by the way, coaching uh, on Instagram. And there you'll find my website. I also have a podcast. It's called Get Yourself Back. I do the five steps to healing from narcissist abuse and unconditional love is one of them, but there's, there's five. We talk about boundaries and um, 
and emotional management, things like that. And so, yeah, uh, Laura by, at Laura, by the way, coaching is the best way to get in touch with me. That's where all of my stuff is. And um, I also have some interesting things on Facebook. There's a Facebook group for women raised by narcissists. If you're interested in that, you should just find mm. women raised by narcissists on Facebook. And that's a really fun little group. We do some fun stuff in there. So, <laughs> Oh, I love that. That's all fantastic stuff. And again, thank you, Laura, for all the work that you do. And thank you certainly for joining me for today's show. It's been such a joy. I yes. uh, hope we can do this again sometime <laughs> soon. Me too. It's such a pleasure. And you're just, your work is truly amazing. So I'm, I'm so glad you're here doing it. Oh, thank you. Well, I will talk to you soon, soon and have a beautiful rest of your day. Awesome. Thank you. You too. Welcome back, beautiful listeners. I truly hope that you enjoyed that conversation. I definitely did and didn't want it to end because I just, like I said at the beginning of the show, there's so much more to it and I could sink my teeth so much further into it. But we were running out of time because... Oh, it's just the way that things roll. <laughs> but I definitely hope that you enjoyed that. And as always, if you do have questions, if you want me to bring Laura to the show back, if you if you just want to reach out to me and have a conversation about what you heard, if you've dealt with narcissism and you want to share stories, etc., please feel free to email me info at nourishingpaths.com. And you can also find me on Instagram at nourishing underscore paths as usual. Drop by the website if you want to work with me or the online yoga studio that's nourishingpaths.com. Definitely check it out. And if you're enjoying the show, be sure to subscribe, share with friends and family members who you think would benefit from it and leave a five star review because that is how other people can find the show as well. So that helps us to really keep the light shining through and to touch more lives. And before I let you go, allow me to share something super special with you that is going to be taking place this December 31st. And that is a special episode of You Uplifted. This episode is going to be unique because it's not going to be a solo episode and it's not going to be a single guest episode. Y'all, I'm going to have four phenomenal women on the show and these are women who you've met before and who are extraordinary and who are going to help us usher in the new year in a empowered and tuned in and just magnified way. Oh, I can't wait for you to hear this episode it is so special and so unique and you are going to love it so don't forget to tune in december 31st and then again also next monday we'll have a brand new episode but yes oh my gosh look forward to that special episode i'm so excited have a wonderful rest of your day and i will talk to you soon